Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. At this time of year, we ask folks what your New Year's resolution or resolutions will be. And I know that's just a customary thing because we never really keep them, do we? We like to think in our own heart and in our own mind that we're going to put forth a double effort to change certain attitudes and to change certain activities in our lives, and we find ourselves basically traveling down the same ruts. Mama used to say, a rut is nothing more than a grave with both ends knocked out of it. And uh, sometimes we find ourselves repeating again and again and again. I'm not going to ask what your New Year's resolutions are. Uh, Some of us have given up on those already. But what I will ask, in light of all that we have suffered through this past year, what is it that you hope for in this new year? What is it that you hope for in this new year? It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for people to believe that Such trying times like this pandemic and the fallout from it is the worst possible thing that we could ever suffer. For some of us, we have not been through anything like this before in our lives, but for some of you, you have seen difficult days. Um, as difficult, if not more so, than what we have gone through this past year. Some of you have gone through uh, World War and other wars. Some of you have uh, memories of the Great Depression. Some of you uh, have um, memories of the Dust Bowl period in time. And you understand what it's like to suffer through such horrible, horrible times in your life. But to think that what we have gone through in the last 10 or 12 months is the worst possible thing we could ever face is simply not true. It's simply not true. Now, I will confess that we are living in troubled times. There's no doubt about that. We're living in troubled times, and we need to take those, we need to take these times seriously. We need to take the things that we're going through seriously. But we also need to put things in proper perspective. We need to go back and we need to look at um, some of the things that um, people have suffered down through history and gain an insight from those things 
um, where we are standing uh, at this point in time today. As of yesterday, as of yesterday, 1.7 million people have died from COVID-19. That's worldwide. 1.7 million people have died worldwide from COVID-19. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. But since 1985, 30 million people have died from HIV and AIDS. Now that's 35 years. But it comes out to about 860,000 people a year, on average, die from HIV and AIDS. This last year, close to 700,000 people died of HIV. In 1918 and 1919, two years, the Spanish flu epidemic resulted in over 40 million deaths. 40 million people died in two years from the Spanish flu. Smallpox epidemic of 1520, that was a long time ago. But in 1520, the smallpox epidemic killed somewhere around 56 million people in one year. The bubonic plague of, 19, of 1345, excuse me, 1347 to 1351, another five-year period of time, 200 million people died from bubonic plague. Now, that's not to say that COVID-19 is not a serious issue. It is. But it is to say that diseases, diseases have been a constant reality throughout human history, and we can't get away from that. Serious diseases have been a constant reality throughout human history, even today, with our scientific, technological, and medical expertise Disease outbreaks are not unheard of. And disease outbreaks are still with us. 9.6 million people died last year from cancer worldwide. And the World Health Organization tells us that one in eight men and one in 11 women will die from cancer each year. That's a lot of people from cancer. Every 36 seconds, a person dies from heart disease. Every 36 seconds, on average, 650,000 people in the United States die from heart disease every year. Now, I may be comparing apples and oranges here, and I understand that. But the fact remains that millions of people die every year from disease, from natural disasters, from war, from violence, both domestic, national, and foreign, from accidents on the highways, in the air, trains, on the water, and from aging, 
people die. Millions of people die. Starvation, famine, other hurricanes, tornadoes. People die from all of these things. And the reality is that no matter how hard we try and no matter how much we are able to advance in sciences, in technology, and in medicine, we will never control, we will never contain, and we will never cure any of the things that harm or kill us. We'll never be able to do that. An imperfect humanity cannot create a perfect utopian existence. It is beyond our ability, it is beyond our knowledge, it is beyond our expertise. The happy days of Richie Cunningham exist only in syndication. We have it good in our country, and I don't know of anybody in this building that would ever deny that. We have it good in this country compared to the rest of the world, but we still suffer from the things that are beyond our ability to control. So the question is asked, do we resign ourselves to fatalism? Do we sing K sera sera with Doris Day? Do we embrace the mantra, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Christians are a people of hope. Christians are a people of hope. Our faith and our assurance is in Jesus Christ. He has promised and He gives us abundant life and eternal life through His death, burial, and resurrection. I am with you always, Jesus said, even to the end of the age. And the Apostle Paul told and reminded the Colossian Christians that Christ in you is the hope of glory. We're a people of hope. We live in a troubled world. We live in a dangerous world. We live in a world that is frustrating to us. But we are nonetheless a people of hope because of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. Peter the Apostle wrote two letters, the first of which I want us to look at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Stand with me in honor of God's word, if you will please. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is the word of God, and we pray his blessing upon the reading of the word. You may be seated. We've had a lot on our hearts and minds this past year. But in this text, the Apostle Peter reminds us of a number of things that need to occupy our thinking and our doing in the days and in the weeks ahead. Notice he says here in these verses that we need to be of one mind. Put it plainly, as a Christian church, we need to get our act together and we need to have our act together together. We need to be of one mind. That means to seek the same thing. It means that whatever you desire in your own life, desire that same thing in the lives of others. Be of one mind. Be of one heart. Uh, And there are a, a, a multitude of applications for that being of one mind. We need to have a singular goal in mind as a fellowship of saints. And together we need to be pursuing that goal. We need to marshal all of our energies and all of our efforts and all of our resources to meet the one goal that has been established for this fellowship. We need to be of one mind. And when we are of one mind as a church fellowship, then we will be of the same mind as individuals in the fellowship of this church. That will constantly be renewed and we will be reminded of it on a daily basis as we work in our homes, in our businesses, in our schools, out in the uh, marketplaces, and as we worship together and serve together in the fellowship. Peter says that we should have compassion for one another. Compassion to sympathize with each other, to enter into each other's regard, is what it literally means, to enter into each other's regard, even in times of trouble. We we need to be about the business of ministry, not only evangelizing the, the lost with the gospel, but ministering the resources of the kingdom of God into each other's lives. That's 
sympathy. That is having compassion one for another. We need to embrace, I would suppose, we need to embrace the motto of the United States Marine Corps. No one gets left behind. And we need to have that attitude in the fellowship of the church. No one gets left behind. Peter says that we need to love one another. We need to love one another as brothers. We need to love as brothers. We need to love each other as family. Now, I should, I should parenthetically say, we need to love each other as family, as a loving family. I know some families, and uh, uh, not a whole lot of love in some families, I know that, but we need to love each other as a loving family. In other words, we need to consider each other's welfare as members of our own family. Be tender-hearted. Show kindness to one another. Show kindness to one another. Speak words of kindness. Demonstrate kindness. It is to enter into again another person's regard even in their most needful things. The things that they are needing the most. We need to be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Be courteous. Humble is the word that uh, best translates the, this word in the Greek. To be humble. Be humble before one another. Be humble with one another. Give preference to others over self. And then he says, Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But bless, Jesus said it this way, turn the other cheek when others abuse you. Honor others, though they may not honor you. Now, that's a plate load, isn't it? And in times of trouble, like we have been going through uh, these past several months, it's easy for us to wake up in the morning on edge. And it's easy for us to live our day with people stomping on our last nerve. And rather than being kind and gentle and, uh, and humble and courteous and loving toward other individuals, we want to act like other individuals act toward us. But Peter, and understand the, the situation in which Peter is writing uh, his letter, Christians are being persecuted. Christians have been scattered to the four winds. People in the days of Peter are under attack, not only from the government, from Rome, but also from their kinsmen. If they're Christians who came out of Judaism, they're being attacked by families, they're being attacked by brothers and sisters, moms and dads, sons and daughters, cousins, nephews and nieces, for having converted to the Christian faith. They're being attacked by individuals who have no appreciation for Jesus Christ or for Christianity. 
And Peter is saying, in the midst of the trouble that these people are facing, you need to demonstrate, you need to have these attitudes, and you need to demonstrate these attitudes in your daily life. Easy to do? Absolutely not. Difficult to do? Absolutely. But necessary. Because as Christians, we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ to those whom we meet, those whom we work with, those whom we serve. How were they able to do that in their day, and how are we able to do that in our day? Let me point out two important things that the Apostle Peter emphasizes in the text. In verse 15, the Apostle Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. In other words, you can't do these things in your own power. You can't do these things because you choose to, because you will to. You can't do these things by any other means than by sanctifying the Lord in your heart. Now what does it mean to sanctify? That's a, that's a nice $5 theological term that simply means to make holy. It means to make sacred. It means to purify. And the question comes, well, I thought the Lord is already holy. Isn't the Lord Jesus Christ holy? Isn't the Spirit of God holy? Isn't Jehovah God, Almighty God, holy already? Yes, they are. But the encouragement that the Apostle Peter gives to each and every one of us is to make them holy in your heart. Make them holy in your heart. Do you honor the Lord God as holy God in your heart, in your mind, in your affections, in your emotions, in your will? in your thinking, in your doing? Is God holy in you? Now what do I mean by that? Let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament. For a number of years, Isaiah the prophet was occupied with his own personal ministry. If you go back to the book of Isaiah, you don't need to, but if you go back to the book of Isaiah, you'll find that for the first five chapters, Isaiah was ministering as a prophet of God. He was involved in his own personal ministry. He was involved in the affairs of state. He came from a wealthy family. He came from an influential family. And he was recognized by the king and was invited by the king to serve as an advisor to the king. He was a part of the king's court. And so he had the king's ear. And this would be King Uzziah. And so he was very familiar with the affairs of state. And he also ministered to the king in the affairs of the state. He was also occupied um, as, as I stated, a servant and as an advisor to the king. A prophet of God, yes, but very politically minded and very involved in the politics of the state. Would we say that 
God was in Isaiah's heart? Yes. God was in Isaiah's heart. God had called Isaiah to be a prophet. And for the first five chapters of his book, we see him fulfilling that role. But he was also involved in a lot of other things. And that's not to say that he was not a godly man. He was indeed a godly man. But was God sanctified in Isaiah's heart? In the year that King Uzziah died, 740 years before Christ, God opened the eyes of the prophet to the spiritual realities of God's kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, again, you don't need to turn there, but beginning in the first verse of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a new vision, had a a new understanding of God. An understanding of God that he had not known or appreciated before. He saw the Lord exalted on his throne in the heavenly temple. The glory of God filled that temple. Isaiah saw and heard the angelic seraphim as they flew above the throne of God and as they called out the trihagion, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He felt the temple shake under his feet at the majesty, the power, and the glory of the Lord. He saw smoke representing the praise and adoration of God as Holy Father emanating from the altar of incense and filling the temple. Isaiah was awake when all of the... This was not a dream. He he dreamed at night when he was in bed asleep. He was fully awake when God opened his eyes to these spiritual realities. And it affected him. It had a great impact on him. How did this prophet of God respond having seen these wonderful, majestic, powerful things in the kingdom of God. As he stood there before the Lord, an overwhelming sense of sinfulness and brokenness and unworthiness to stand before holy God overwhelmed him, completely overcame him. He fell on his face before the Lord. He confessed his sin to the Lord. And he surrendered to God and to God's service. That's what it means to sanctify God in your heart. That's what it means to make holy God holy in your life. It means to catch a, a, a greater vision, a new vision, a more real vision of God in your heart 
and in your mind. And that's possible for each and every one of us because that same God that Isaiah saw high and lifted up lives in each and every one who names the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God does not need to open our eyes to the realities of his kingdom. Jesus Christ has done that. And the Holy Spirit in us shows those great, majestic, powerful things to us each and every moment of the day when we sanctify him in our lives. We cannot, in the days and the months ahead of us, and, and who knows what lies ahead of us. But whatever lies ahead of us, we cannot lose this sense of the holiness of God in our lives. Christians and Christian churches need to sanctify God's name, sanctify God's word, and sanctify God himself in our hearts if we're going to endure the days ahead of us. Notice verse 13 and 14 here in 1 Peter. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. You are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. There have been a lot of threats that have come out of Sacramento this past year, hasn't there? There have been a lot of threats that have come out of Washington this past year for people who do not respond or who do not uh, take into account or take into uh, their hearts and in their minds and especially in their conduct seriously what the government says we should be doing in light of the pandemic that we're facing. There's been a lot of criticism. There have been a lot of threats that have been issued, especially to churches. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Look with me to 2 Corinthians. Go back to Paul's letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And why is that important? Why do we need to treasure the power of God and not our own power? For this reason, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus 
and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. We have that treasure in these earthly vessels, these earthly bodies. The power of God living in you through his Holy Spirit has allowed us to persevere, to continue on despite the hardships, the heartaches, the troubles that we have faced and that we will continue to face until Jesus comes again. We are a redeemed people, amen? We are a redeemed people, but we will always face trials and tribulations. We will always suffer hardships and heartaches. We will always be subject to doubts and to difficulties. We're still subject to the weaknesses of the flesh. And we can't get around that. We will continue to live in a fallen world. We will continue to engage in spiritual warfare against the principalities, against the powers, against the, the uh, evil wickedness in high places, against spiritual uh, darkness uh, of this age. We're going to continue to face these things. Did you, did you catch the uh, video that was shown as the service began? Missionaries in a country where God has never been known. Spiritual darkness. Spiritual ignorance. And Christian brothers and sisters are going into these places facing hazards, yes. Facing persecutions, yes. Facing people rejecting them and the gospel, absolutely. But they go. They go in the power of the Lord knowing that in Jesus Christ they are bringing the light of the kingdom, the light of the gospel to these people who are in darkness. There are places in our world where spiritual darkness prevails. There are places in our own country where spiritual darkness prevails. We're at war against these principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We're at war against these enemies of God. But we're no longer victims of them. And that's an important thing to be reminded of, brothers and sisters. We're at war with the forces of hell, but we're no longer victims of the forces of hell any longer. Jesus has conquered Satan and his minions. His death and resurrection has assured us victory over the forces of evil. And he will ultimately and finally condemn and consign these forces of hell to the lake of fire at the end of the age. So now, Peter tells us that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Holy God, we need to make holy in our own lives. But there's another activity that he encourages us to engage in. Notice what he says here again in verse 15, that we not only need to sanctify the Lord in our heart, 
But he also says we need to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. We need to be ready to give a defense. That is an explanation. We need to be able to explain to people, to everyone who asks us, the reason for our hope. And the word hope, uh, it, it means assurance or confidence. We need to tell people why we are confident in these days of trouble in our nation. Why we have assurance Uh, in our heart, why we don't fall apart like a lot of other people, why we don't get angry and frustrated and take our frustrations out on other people and do some of the things that other people are doing. We need to be able to explain to people what makes us different from everyone else. And we need to do it with meekness. That means with gentleness. We need to do it with humility and with fear, which is a, a respect, a serious and reverent spirit in heart and in mind. And so what the Apostle Peter is telling us here is the holiness of character. When we sanctify the Lord God in our individual lives, holiness of character will result in in righteousness of conduct. Holiness of character will always demonstrate itself in righteous conduct. If we sanctify Jesus in our heart, we will live a life that draws people to Jesus through us. And that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. When we live a different kind of life in the midst of this uh, epidemic or pandemic, whatever you want to call it, when we live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live, people are going to start asking questions. People are going to start wondering why. What makes you different? How come you don't react and respond like other people that I know? Why aren't you fearful in the times of this dreaded disease? Why, uh, why is your life not thrown into chaos when everyone else's life seems to be in chaos, when the country seems to be in chaos? Why aren't you fatalistic? Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you depressed by what's going on all around you? It is an opportunity for us to answer these people with the assurance that we have. And that assurance that we have is Jesus Christ himself. It's not because we're better than anyone else. It's not because we have our act together. It's not because we've got money in the bank. It's not because our pantry is full of toilet paper. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. The hope that lies within us is not because we're adequately prepared. The hope that lies within us is Jesus Christ himself. It's Jesus himself. We can tell people about Jesus, who is our assurance, who is our confidence, who is our hope that lives within each and every one of us. And we should be telling them 
I know sometimes we'll want to say, well, just hang on in there. You know, things will get better sooner or later. Or write your congressman and let them know, you know, that certain things are happening in your neck of the woods. Or, you know, uh, you know, I'll stand with you and if you need me for anything, I'll be there. No, it's a golden opportunity for us to tell them about Jesus Christ who says, I love you with an infinite love. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He has promised that He'll take care of you. Sometimes I wonder if we believe that ourselves. But that's His promise. We can tell people, in the midst of this pandemic, that there is a Christ who died on a cross and rose again from the grave and who's coming back again to take us home to be with Him in glory. But until that time, He has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. And I will supply all of your needs according to my resources in glory. If you believe in me, if you trust me, if you embrace me as Lord and Savior. That's my hope for you this new year. That's my hope for the new year. Come what may, I pray that each and every one of us as individuals and as families and as a church, we will stay the course. We will, as Pastor Chris said at the very beginning of the service, we will continue to press on. We will continue to do what God has called us to do. We will not let government uh, or anyone else deter us from realizing the goals that the Lord Jesus Christ has set before us. We will press on with confidence, with assurance, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, who is the head of this body we call the church. We're not going to give in to fear and fatalism. We're not going to pattern our lives and our attitudes after the lives and attitudes of the peoples of the earth. We're not going to subject our lives and our circles of influences to any other authority but the authority of the risen Lord. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That's my desire for you. So going back to the question at the very beginning, what is it that you hope for in this new year? I do hope that an answer will be given to the pandemic, and I do hope things will get back on track politically, economically, socially, and all of the other areas of American life. I do hope that people will get their lives back in order. But my greatest hope for this country, my greatest hope for this state, my greatest hope for this county and for this church and for every family and individual in this fellowship, my greatest hope is that we will seriously sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and be ready to explain to other people why that is. Holy Father, I pray that each and every one of us will make you holy in our lives today 
and every day from this point forward until Jesus calls us home. To your honor and glory I ask in Jesus' name. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.